0: Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. Go ahead and get your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. We are, uh, of course, this is our, our five-year anniversary service. We have a wonderful uh, fellowship meal planned. Uh, after the service, and we, we've had a little bit of extra going on this morning. We had, uh, of course, Danny singing that wonderful special. Uh, we had the, the video montage, uh, and so we're a little bit later starting, but I, I, did y'all, uh, I gave you all a present for this anniversary service. Normally, my notes are 12 pages long. Uh, this morning, they're only 11. No, it's actually only six. So, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, we'll get out of here uh, when God wants us to, uh, when I've displayed, given the truth that He's laid on our heart. But we're in our final week of a, a series we said, Finish Strong. And really the point of this whole message was a lot of people, uh, we're very good, not just believers, but just people in general, we are great at starting things. But we're not so great at finishing them. Uh, how many of y'all have started a diet and never finished it? Yeah, all of us. Uh, we start doing a lot of things and maybe start reading a book and don't finish it. Maybe start, I'm going to go back to college and we start and we, we don't finish. We, we start stuff, but we have a hard time finishing it. And that translates also into our walk with God. A lot of believers, we start things for God. Whether it's something simple, like I'm going I'm to read my Bible every day. Uh, we start that. You know, January is coming. And a lot of times in January, people make resolutions, especially with you know, believers. I'm going, to, I'm going to read the Bible through in a year. And you start reading in Genesis. And Genesis Genesis is a great book. There are some crazy but incredible stories in Genesis. And you read these things and you're like, I cannot believe this, this is really in the Bible. I can't believe this really happened. And you get to Exodus. That's kind of exciting. Then you get Leviticus and Numbers. In Deuteronomy, and you have seven chapters of begatting. And you're like, what? I know the Bible says all Scripture is given for inspiration that's profitable. What do I care that so-and-so begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so for five chapters? What does that matter to me? And so we, we give up. We stop. Maybe you're like, I'm going to be faithful to church unless I am sick or dead. I'm going to be faithful to the house of the Lord, and we start that. But then life takes over. Things get busy, and we stop coming. And look, I don't fault people. Look, and again, I say sick or dead or vacation. You need vacations. We all need time off. So if you're on vacation... You can skip church, but we do have Facebook Live. Just saying. Uh, but you say I'm going to be faithful, but something happens and you you kind of stop doing. It. Or maybe I'm going to be faithful to giving to the church. I'm going to I'm going to tithe a 10% of my income. I'm going to go above and beyond and go give a little bit more. But then of course you know the price of gas goes up, the price of chicken goes up, the price of eggs. I don't know what we're feeding these chickens these days, but them and their offspring are way too sting and expensive. And so the price of everything goes up, and you you kind of. You lose faith and you stop doing stuff. So we're looking at how to, you know, it's not just what we start for God that matters. It's what and how we finish what God has laid on our heart. And so with God, it's not just making a decision that matters, it's, it's seeing it through. And we've been looking at how we can have finishing faith when we step out in faith with God. And this morning, we're going to look at one of the most famous parables that Jesus taught that really gives us kind of an idea of how we can finish strong for God. So look in, in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to start reading verse number 14. Matthew 25, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability and straightway took his journey. Now, talents in scripture, they're not, you know, like the ability to play the piano or the ability to juggle or do trick shots. That's not what a talent is. A talent in the Bible is a unit of money. In today's economy, one talent is about $500,000. Now, this time, in this time period, the average wage, even with today's dollars, was about 300 denarii a year. And so one talent uh, was about 1,600 years of wages. That's a lot of money that this guy has. This guy is is filthy rich. He is wealthier than Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates combined. He is a ridiculously wealthy man. And when he goes on a journey, he doesn't know how he's going. He doesn't know how long he's going to be gone. His servants don't know how long he's going to be gone, but he gives them each a certain amount of money to steward, to manage, to watch after while he's on his journey. And everyone, neither one of them, had a say in what they were given. You know, the guy that got five talents, he didn't have a say that he got five talents. The master gave him five talents. The guy who got two talents, he didn't go to the master and say, I feel comfortable with two. He just got two talents. The guy that got one talent, he didn't have a say. The master gave him one talent. The Bible says he gave them what he wanted to by his choice based on their abilities. Based on what he felt they could handle. Uh, So look at verse number 16. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he had received two, uh, he also gained another two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, in the whole... Skip the whole page there. Saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. So each one of these men, they, they receive this large sum of money. Each of them gets something different from the master. And they all go and do something different with it. The guy who receives five talents, he goes and he, he invests the money. He trades in, in stocks or gold or silver or produce. We don't know what he does. But he goes and he invests the money and he earns five more talents. The guy who received two talents, he goes and he trades his as well, and he also receives two talents. So they both, both these first two guys, they double their money. But the third guy, he goes and he buries what he's been given. Now remember, he's given $500,000. That's an incredible sum of money, I want to say in this time, but also in our time. You know, someone comes and gives me 500 grand to do what I want to do with it woo y'all ain't going to see me for a while. Uh, but he, get, he gets scared, so he goes and he, he buries the money in the ground and waits. And then the Bible says after a long time, the master returns. And the guy who was given five talents, who earned five talents, he is excited to see the master. You can almost hear his excitement in the voice in his voice. He comes running back to the master, "Hey, master, you gave me 5 talents. I invested it wisely. I stewarded your money well, and I earned you 5 more talents. So here's 10 talents. You gave me 5. I'm giving you back 10." He is glad to see the master return. And you can understand why. You know, if someone gave you a million dollars to invest, And when they come back, you give them $2 million. You're going to be proud of what you've done. Hey, I did a good job, boss. I took your money. I invested it wisely. I doubled your investment. That's a good deal. He's excited for the master. Look at verse 21. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of... Of thy Lord. So, because of his faithfulness over what he had been given, and again, what he's been given, five talents, uh, is not a few things, but the Master says, you were faithful over a few, I'm going to make you faithful over many, you've done a great job, good job, sir. So, because he was faithful over what he had been given, the Master gave him even more to control or more to be faithful over. Look at verse 22. He also, that had received the two talents, came and said, Lord... Thou deliverest unto me two talents, behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. So, the guy who receives two talents, he also invested, he also did well, and he, again, doubled the master's money. Now, he didn't have as much to give back as the guy that got five talents, but he wasn't given as much. He was given two. He earned two. So he doubled his money, just like the guy who five. But it doesn't. The master doesn't care how much money he earned. He just cares that he did something with it, that he was faithful with it. And he goes exact same statement. You've been faithful over a few. I'm going to make you faithful over many. Many enter into the joy of the Lord. So the guy who received five, he's eager to see the master return. Because he did well, he worked, he he did what the master wanted him to. He invested, he earned five more. The guy who received two, he was happy to see the master come because he had invested it. He had worked hard, he had doubled the master's money and had been good with what he had been given. Now we come to the guy who had been given one. Look at verse 24. Then he which received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed, and I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast the lo there thou hast that is thine. So there's a, a different tone with this servant. He's not excited. He's scared. Now, did he lose the master's money? No. He didn't make a bad investment and lose everything. He didn't waste it. He didn't party and spend the money on on frivolous things. He didn't didn't waste the master's money at all. He, He hid it away. And so when the master returned, he gave the master back what he had been given. Gave him everything back. But he didn't earn anything. And he knows that the master's not going to be happy about this. So look at verse 26. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked... And slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I had not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming, I should receive mine own with usury. Basically, what he says here it goes: if you knew that I'm a, I'm a hard man, you shouldn't have dug a hole and buried my money. You should have put it in the bank where I could get some interest on it. At least if I'm earning, you know, point one percent. I'm going to get something back, but you didn't give me anything back. You you didn't use my money for anything productive. Verse 28, Therefore, take therefore the talent from him, and give it to him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance, but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he has. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this servant was condemned, he was punished, not for what he did, but for what he didn't do. See, we think sin and wickedness is always something we do. We say something we shouldn't say. We do something we shouldn't do. We go somewhere we shouldn't go. We watch something we shouldn't watch. And so, inaction an is wickedness. The Bible says here, sometimes God considers us evil and wicked, not because of the things we do, but because of what we do not do for God. What we don't do. A wickedness can apply to what you don't do as much as you what you do. Wickedness can, impl- can apply to failing to invest your life for the kingdom of God as a believer. If you're a child of God, And you do not invest your time, the talents God has given you, your abilities, and your treasure in the kingdom of God. You're not doing anything wicked. You're, you're, you're still, you know, you're, you're obeying the commandments. You're not living a sinful life. You're a good person, but you're not giving your life for God. God says you are wicked in the eyes of God. Wickedness for those who aren't believers could be hearing the gospel. Understanding, the Bible says, we are all born sinners wicked before the Lord. Our righteousness in our own ability, in our own flesh, in our own own talents, our righteousness is as filthy rags. But God loved us so much that He sent His Son to live a perfect, sinless life. To die on the cross and absorb the wrath of God for us. And that we as, pe- as people, all we have to do is accept the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as payment for our sins. And then we have eternal life with God. And then we have a relationship with the Father. And wickedness can be hearing that, knowing that, and ignoring that. It's not always what you do, it's what you don't do for God that can condemn you, that can hurt you. So why didn't this servant invest what he had been given by the master into the master's work? Well, it probably felt risky. Investments are risky. You know, I, uh, several years ago, I uh, found this app where you could invest as little as like five bucks in the stock market. You could choose the stock that you wanted to invest in. And so I, I always wanted to kind of play the stock market, but I never wanted to, you know, use anything that would hurt me. So I signed up. I got a $5 free credit. I gave another 15 bucks. So I had 20 bucks to invest. And I was trying to pick the right stock and I was looking at stocks and I was doing all my research and I found, you know what? I'm going to invest in Peloton. And I invested in Peloton. And man, I invested in Peloton, started going up. But then they recalled all their bikes because they killed a couple people. I lost my 20 bucks. Uh, I think I have 58 cents left in Peloton stock uh, because it tanked. Now, I lost $20. That's okay. I can afford to lose $20 three years ago, today, maybe not. But investing is risky. That's why you really shouldn't use the stock market or cryptocurrency for anything you can't afford to lose. So if you're like, oh, I'm going to invest my life savings and hopefully it's going to work out. That's not wise. Invest what you can't, what you can afford to lose in the stock market, uh, not in God. But investing is, is risky. When you invest in something, stock market, banking, housing, whatever, when you invest, you lose control over it. What happens if everything goes wrong and you end up with nothing? So I'm sure he was was scared because if I invest it and I make a wrong investment and I lose all the master's money, what's he going to do? How mad is he going to be if I lose everything he's given me? Maybe it's a better idea to to hold on to it tight, to, to cling to what you have, to enjoy it for yourself. But the Bible tells us here that that thinking is wicked. To be obedient to God... As a child of God is to take a risk for his kingdom. Throughout the Bible, children of God were called upon to take risks. Think of the story of David and Goliath. David... He's just a little shepherd boy. His dad tells him, go, your brothers are at war with the Philistines, and you go and take them some food and see how they're doing and give me back a good report. And during this time, there was a, 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 a tradition that they would do or a thing they would do. Instead of having both armies just battle it out and losing maybe hundreds of thousands of men, each side would choose a champion. And those champions would fight, and whichever champion won, the army won. And so that was the, what they typically did during that time, just to kind of save lives and, you know, save some time there. And so David goes to check on his brothers and the Philistines have chosen a champion, Goliath. A nine foot nine giant. Whose, uh, whose armor and whose weapons way more than David ever would. And he's this massive man and he's cursing God. And he's cursing Israel and David hears it and David gets mad. And David, Little shepherd boy David goes and fights Goliath. Read that story. Nowhere in that story did God ever tell David, you go fight him, I'll kill him for you. David had no idea what was going to happen. But he stepped out and took a risk for God. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, there's a story about Jonathan and his armor bearer. And again, the Philistines and the Israelites are at war. And the Philistines are out, the Israelites are outside of a Philistine garrison. Inside this garrison, there's about a thousand Philistine soldiers, hardened, trained men. uh, Jonathan goes to his armor bearer and says, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sneak over the wall at night. And we're going to attack. Just me and you. Nobody else. Me and you, we're going to sneak over the wall. We're going to attack the Philistines and we're going to destroy them. We're going to kill every single one of them. And here's what he says when he's talking to his armor bearer. He says, let us go over and kill these uncircumcised men. Perhaps God will act on our behalf. That is not the most encouraging pep talk you can give before you go into battle. Hey man, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go, we're gonna sneak over the wall, we're gonna fight them Philistines, we're gonna kill them. Maybe God will be with us. Maybe He won't. He had no guarantee that God was gonna be with him. But he trusted God, he took a risk, and God followed his path. I think of Queen Esther. Queen Esther, when she has to go before the king to beg for the life of the Israelite people because of the plot that was put in place by a wicked man to destroy him, she had no idea what was going to happen. She knew that the law said if the queen were to go before the king without being invited, then she would be killed, but she did it anyway. And she says, I'm going to go, and if I die, I die. I have no idea what's going to happen, but I'm taking a risk for God. Paul's entire ministry was one risk right after the other. He never knew what was coming. But he trusted God and he took a risk. The early church was a group of believers who risked everything for God. In that time, they had no right to exist. Every time they preached, every time they made a convert, every time they had a prayer meeting, they were in danger of being arrested or killed by the Roman or the Jewish authorities. But they risked everything for God. John Piper says the Christian life is a call to risk. You either live with risk or you waste your life. God rarely gives His followers, His children, a guarantee of success. He just calls us to follow Him. He doesn't say, hey, follow me and start this ministry and it's going to be successful. It's going to work out great for you. Everything's going to be great. He just says, just follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. You know, also... Not only see people in the Bible taking risks, we see what happens when people refuse to take risks for God. What about the children of Israel? They've escaped Egypt. God has led them out through the Red Sea. They've seen an incredible miracle as the Red Sea parts, and they walk through on dry ground, they turn around, and God... Closes it up and destroys the Egyptian army pursuing them. They're leaving Egypt burdened down with the, the gold and the wealth of Egypt. Their enemies are killed. They get to the promised land. They send in 12 spies to see what's going on. 12 spies come back and 10 of them. They don't, they, they tell the truth. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of, the grapes that over there are the size of volleyballs. Now they didn't have volleyballs, but the grapes there are, are huge. Plenty of food, great land, but there's a lot of enemies in the land. There's a lot of giants in the land. Two of them say, yeah, there's, a lot, there's giants in the land, but we got God. What do we got to fear? The Israelite nation listened to the, 12, the ten spies and didn't go in. And God said that they listened to their evil report. Their report, their report was 100% truthful. But they were not willing to take the risk for God. So God says, because you listened to that evil report and did not have faith, that entire generation died before the nation was able to go into the the promised land. They had to wander in the desert for 40 years because they were not willing to take the risk. Risking is dangerous. But not risking for God is even more dangerous. God may be calling you to take a risk for Him this morning. Maybe God's laying on your heart that it's time for you to get back in church. Look, we were it's 2022 now. COVID hit in 2020 and every believer and every church had to shut down. We went on Facebook Live. And people, we got comfortable staying home. We got comfortable watching on Facebook. We got comfortable worshiping in our pajamas. And look, I agree. I loved worshiping in my pajamas. It was awesome. If I could do it, I would do it, but y'all would get upset if I came up here in my sleep shorts and tank top. Uh, But anyway, uh, I loved worshiping in my pajamas. It was great! But it's time to get back in church. Maybe God's saying, you know, it's time time for you to get back to being faithful to the house of the Lord. Maybe God's saying on your heart, you know what, it's time for you to start a new ministry. There are a lot of ministries we want to start here at this church. We have a, we have beautiful facilities here, we have a lot of rooms, and I want them to be used every single day for re- getting the gospel out and for helping our community. We had this week, we had, uh, not CPS, but CPS, yeah, CPS. They they called me months ago and said, "Hey, can can we use your facility as a safe meeting place?" And so Friday, they came in and we had a, a family here who they had the CPS had to come and so sort of the kid could meet with the kids, a family of four, mom and dad were here, but they they met here and they were able to spend a couple hours together playing in the gym and just being in a safe space where they could meet together. And that's the kind of thing we we want to start an addictions uh support group. Where we can help people who are struggling with all kinds of addictions. We wanna, wanna get, get more involved with Straight Street and helping our teenagers with, with the lamppost and helping with, with sex trafficking. We wanna have a divorce support group and, and look, I can't do it all. I just can't. Me and April can't do it all we we're, we're, we got everything going on. And so we need you to step up and say, you know what? God's in my heart, I'm going to help with that addictions program. I'm going to get involved and get in touch with the people. I'm going to get to training. I'm going to do what's necessary to, so that God can use me to help others get the gospel to the hurting and the lost and the dying world. You know, we got our community cupboard and community closet. We need some help with that. We need some people to step up and say, hey, I'm going to help. Because we, we feed dozens of families every single week. Or every single month, two weeks, two weeks out of the month. Yeah, we, we feed families, we help them, we clothe them. We got, here's the thing, we got Thanksgiving coming up. Every Thanksgiving, we, we give Thanksgiving meals to sometimes 50, 60 families in our community. Maybe God's saying, hey, it's time for you to step up and take a risk and, and get involved in that. Maybe God's laid on your heart, it's time for you to step up and take a risk in your giving. Look, I'm gonna be honest with you. If you are giving to the church, and it doesn't make you a little nervous. You're not doing it right. And look, January. I'm going to start preaching on that. So why would you do that? Because it needs to be preached on, and it needs to be done. And I can't avoid it. And I, you know, we just got to. So if you're like, oh man, you know, giving ten bucks a week, that's nothing for me. That's not faith. It's not a risk. It's a risk when you're like, you know what? I I sure could use that that money to buy groceries, to buy gas. I'm going to trust God. Look, me and April, we've been doing it for, for ever since we were believers. Trust in God. And there have been times, especially in Bible college, where we had to decide, I'm going to tithe or I'm going to eat. We chose to tithe and God always took care of us. I remember one time we said, we're not going to, well, we'll tithe next week. We'll catch up next week. We've got to pay our bills. We'll catch up next week. That Monday, our washer and dryer broke. I got a flat tire had to have repaired. Everything went wrong. And from that moment on, we said, God, you're first. We're going to trust you no matter what. And look, I have not missed a meal on purpose. I've missed, I mean, because we didn't have money. I've missed some because I chose to, because it didn't feel good. But I've never said, oh, I can't eat because we don't have money. Now, look, we, there was times in Bible college we had to eat uh, vegetable soup for a week. I hate vegetable soup now, but I ate it because that's what God gave me. But you've got to step out and take a risk for God. You have to take a risk. Obedience to God always involves risk. So you have to choose between obedience and risk or disobedience and the illusion of safety. Risk always brings fear. That's why the servant said, I was scared of the master. So how do you overcome that fear? We see two different attitudes of the servant, the other two servants of the master. The first two... Servants, they're filled with anticipation. They looked forward to the mastery coming because they loved him. They trusted him. The third servant, he saw him as a hard man and was scared. So we see two things that these faithful servants had that the unfaithful didn't. The first thing they had was number one, they trusted in the master's goodness. They trusted in the master's goodness. The first two, they knew, yeah, the master's a hard man, but he's a good man. He may may be strict and he may be stern, but he's a good man. He is trustworthy. And they had the freedom to take the risk. See, Paul, in Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us why he was, was able and willing to take any risk that God sent His way. In Romans 8, chapter 31, it says, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not His own Son... But delivered him up for us all. How shall he not then also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake... God loves me, God gave up everything for me, God's going to take care of me, so I will risk everything to further His kingdom. I will risk everything to share that love with the lost and dying world. The cross shows us how much God loves us. When we read the story of the cross, and look, I've told y'all before, and we got Lord's Supper coming up in a couple of weeks, and we're gonna talk about it again, the, the cross and the pain, the agony, the physical torture that Christ went through is incredible. But what's even more incredible to me, yes, He endured incredible physical pain, but He absorbed the wrath of God for my sin. He took the punishment that was due to me and due to you and due to everybody in the world. He went to hell so I wouldn't have to. He died instead of me, was buried, and rose again to redeem me to God the Father. And if He loved me enough to suffer the pain and the agony of the physical torment, but if He loved me enough to allow my sin to be placed on Him, and have fellowship with God the Father broken for a little while, if He loved me enough to endure that for me, why wouldn't I risk anything for Him? He showed how much He loved me. He showed that He was willing to do anything for me, so I wouldn't I do anything for Him? The cross shows how much God loves the world. Not just us. God didn't endure that just for a few select good people. For God so loved the world that He came, He suffered, He died, He rose again. So why will we not risk everything to tell the lost world about that? To get the gospel to places where there are thousands of people groups in the world that have still never heard the gospel. Why wouldn't we risk everything to get that to them? So they can hear of the love of God. So we have to ask ourselves, are we asking things that are worthy of His sacrifice? D.L. Moody said, if God is your partner, make big plans. Jesus did not come to earth, leave the glory of heaven, live a perfect sinless life, die a terrible death on the cross, take my sin and rise again so we could have a comfortable fellowship where we didn't do anything risky for God. He did that. So we would risk everything for Him. He died to make nations worship Him. He died to create a multitude gathered around His throne proclaiming His praises. Is that what we are doing with our life? Are we serving in a way that is worthy of the sacrifice that He paid? These servants, they knew the risk, but they also trusted in the goodness of the master. Also, number two, not only did they trust in the master's goodness, they shared in the master's joy. See, the first two servants, they invested, they gave everything, and yeah, they had a great return on investment, but they were eager to see the master return. They were eager to see his kingdom expanded. And when the master returns, he gives them even greater reward and greater responsibility. The guy that had five, had five talents, he gives him. He lets him keep the other five. He goes, hey, you've got ten talents to invest now. And we're going to take the one talent from that lazy, slothful, wicked servant. We're going to give it to you. So he enjoyed the Master's goodness. He shared in a greater joy with the Master. And here's what we, can, what we know. Joy is what drove Jesus throughout His ministry. Joy is what propelled Him to the cross. Bible says in Hebrews 12, says, Let us look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How can Jesus look to the torture, to the pain, to the agony, to the separation He's going to endure and have joy in that? Because He looked past it And saw that one day I would hear that story. I would accept his gift of salvation. And that one day after I died, I'd spend eternity with him. He looked to what I would get and said, I will endure anything so that Sean and April and everybody in the world can have the opportunity to spend eternity with me. He suffered so we could have joy. And that's what gave him joy. As a parent, we understand that. We understand, you know, so as a parent, we have to make sacrifices for our children, so they can have it better than we had it. And we all, all of our, all, every parent wants their kid to have it better than they. And look, I don't know why, because you know, as a generation X, we turned out pretty awesome uh, with just you know Nintendo sixty-four and three channels on TV, and as the president was on, you were done for the day. We turned out alright with riding our bikes, you know, and I remember in the summer, me, me and my, my neighbor Alex, we'd get on our bikes and we'd ride and we wouldn't come home till after dark. We'd ride all over Rustburg. We'd make it to Lynchburg sometimes. And you know what? My mom never one time wondered or worried about where I was. I don't know, I don't know if I should be offended by that or not. But we made it back every, every time. We, and, and us, me and April, we won't let our kids leave our street. But like, hey, can I ride my bike around the neighborhood? No. You can ride right in front of this 50 yards in front of our house. That's all you can do because I don't trust people. But, you know, we want to give them more than what we had. We want to have them have a better life than we had. And so we, we sacrifice so they can have. But no sacrifice a parent has ever made compares to the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. What He endured so we could have joy, so we could have eternal life, so we could have peace with God the Father. He gladly suffered to save me. When we risk for God, we share in the joy of his kingdom, and we we enjoy we share in the joy of his kingdom being built for his glory. Walking with God requires more than most Christians give to God. It requires more than Sunday morning and Sunday night worship. It involves more than putting a little money in the plate. It involves more than what most of us are willing to give. It requires us to take risks for God, for His kingdom, to step out in faith for His glory. And we can do that because we know we serve a good Master who loves us, who died for us, and who will never leave us. We can share in His goodness when we take risks for Him because we know we share in His joy. So we as believers, we need to step out, take a risk... And do something for God. Maybe you're this morning, you're not a believer. But God's laid on your heart. It's time for you to step out, take a risk, and accept His gift of salvation. It's a free gift. There's nothing you gotta do for it. You can't earn it, so it was given to you freely. All you gotta do is believe that you were born a sinner, condemned to hell because you're an enemy of God. But He came. He lived a perfect life. He died in your place, and all you've got to do is accept his gift of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as payment for your sin. And when you put your faith in what he did instead of what you can do, you become a child of God. You are welcomed into the family, no matter what your past is. That's what I love about God. Doesn't matter what you've come from, doesn't matter what you are, doesn't matter what, what what your life is like. You look, if you knew what my life was like before God saved me, none of y'all would be here. So how do you know? Cause I wouldn't go to a church with a pastor by a guy that was like me. I don't know why y'all are here. Don't, don't, please don't leave. But, (laughs) but just, you know, it doesn't matter what your past is. Doesn't matter what you've come from. Doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus died for all of it. It's time to step out and take a risk and accept His gift of salvation. Cause here's the thing. Stepping out and accepting His gift of salvation, there's no risk in that. You may get some ridicule from your family. You may get ostracized from some friends. But you get adopted into a better family that will never leave you and never forsake you. Take the risk and do something for God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.